0: Ciao amici mie e buon l'estati a tutti Hello friends and happy summer to everyone For those of you who have never listened to our podcast My name is Kimberly Holcomb and I am a travel planner Same name, Kimberly's Italy the business website, Kimberly'sItaly.com And I am here with my podcast co-host my podcast producer and partner in life, Tommaso.
1: Ciao, Bella Donna.
0: Ciao, Tommaso. Here we are, episode nine.
1: nine. Yes.
0: And for those of you who have listened all along, thank you so much and welcome back. Our last episode, we were up in the northwestern corner of Tuscany doing a road trip from Vetsanello to Cinque Terre and back. And the reason we were there was visiting friends before a trip we had planned to Sardinia for a sailing regatta for Tom. So when we left Betsanello, remember Tom, we drove down those 22 switchbacks for the last time in our,
1: <laughs> in our Fiat Punto. It was much better down here. <laughs>
0: yes. And we drove from there, from Betsanello to Florence, and we flew over to Sardinia. See. So first, I'd like to explain that that is the correct pronunciation of the island Sardinia. That's Italian. Most English people speaking call it, pronounce it Sardinia. Sardinia. Mm-hmm. That's not right. No, so it's Sardinia. Sardinia. Okay. Si. Sardinia is the second largest island after Sicily, and it has been inhabited since prehistoric times, like from six thousand BC. Let that sink in. That's, that's that's old. That's very very old. it's
1: very, very old.
0: I want to just set that tone so you realize this place is even older than the mainland. Yes. <laughs> the island is mountainous and rugged and dry, and it's surrounded by this incredible water. The color is remarkable, and it's called Costa Smeralda. The word Smeralda means... Emerald. Exactly. Yes. So it's this green but turquoise mix in.
1: Oh, it's it's turquoise. It's turquoise. Turquoise and blue.
0: But Smeralda is emerald. Yeah, well.
1: That's the green, name. It, We're sticking with turquoise, okay. To,
0: actually, for anyone that's been to Australia or Indonesia or both, that is what this water is like. It's a perfect combination of the best color waters around the world. It's right there on Sardinia. hmm So On this coast of Smeralda, the Emerald Coast, the main village is called Porto Cervo. And it was just this beautiful natural inlet of water with basically nothing there until the late 1950s when the Aga Khan, who, do you know this, Tom, is still currently the same Aga Khan. Yes. he's like late 80s or mid 80s. He decided to build Porto Cervo to become a destination place for the global jet set.
1: So let's just... Define the Aga Khan for a second. The Aga Khan is a the leader of a certain sect of Muslims who are is Amman, but he, they're not particularly, um, they're very secular. Correct. Yeah, very secular. He
0: was born in Switzerland and has British and Portuguese nationality. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Anyway, he's had a jet set life, basically. Mm-hmm. So apparently he flew over this part of Sardinia in the late 50s and saw this incredible geography and coastland and he thought, that's it. And this one little inlet, this port, was surrounded by deer. And Chervo is the word for deer. Porto Cervo. So he hired So if I call you
1: Chervo, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Chervo Kimberly. No, no, no. Okay, no.
0: Anyway, the Aga Khan hired two Italian and one French architects to build this village, Porto Cervo, but with a Moorish influence. And at the same time, he wanted it to blend in with the landscape, and he actually stipulated that no building could rise above the level of the indigenous vegetation. So I think he was very progressive and sure. eco-friendly for yep. the time. Yep. So the buildings are mostly pastel color or white because it gets quite hot, and they're built literally into the rocks. They mesh with the landscape. They did until it sprawled out a little bit later in life. Mm-hmm. And the more people that came to visit Porto because of its natural beauty over the last six decades or so, it has expanded a bit. But believe it or not, there are only about 500 residents that live there year round. Well, there's not much
1: to do there in the winter.
0: Well, they all those 500 residents probably work in the hospitality yes. industry. Yes. Anyway, the, that was the first time that I had been to Sardinia. I had never gone while I lived there. So Tom and I went together and immediately it felt different, Mm Cervo. It was new. It it didn't feel like the old historic Italy that I knew, but at the same time, we knew the story going into it of the Aga Khan building this in the 60s. And it's a good comparison is like how Las Vegas was built. Just that man, Bugsy Siegel from LA decided, hey, uh, let's start a casino gambling place in the middle of the desert. And he made it happen.
1: Well, let's just say Cervo was also, yeah, but it was built without the mob. (laughs) Which was? Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy Siegel was the mob. So Porto Trevo wasn't necessarily built with the mob oh, like guess, Las Vegas I was.
0: Well, I was going to say, you think there's no mob in Italy? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think they... I think, <laughs> okay, not Porto Cervo, though, because of the Aga Khan. Right. Good point. They, they did what they wanted to do on their own. Right. Anyway, so it was very interesting to be in a part of Italy that was new. It wasn't from the 10th century, 12th century. It was from the 60s. So Porta Cervo's definitely definitely a very high-end place. That was his goal, and they have very upscale shops, and everything is a bit more expensive than other parts of Sardinia. But it caters to the exact kind of clientele that the Aga Khan envisioned. But we enjoyed ourselves, and we're definitely not like
1: the jet set posh type. No, we're not. <laughs> but that's okay. We can play the we can play the part when required. <laughs>
0: So this harbor also caters to yachts and the really, really large yachts like that can't fit. The super
1: duper duper yachts. Who are, who are, well, they're they're, 400. Well, super yachts used to be defined as like, you know, I think over like 125 feet. And now, now there are tenders that are bigger than that. A tender is a boat that. That helps the super yacht, you know, the support vessel that carries the extra wine and and cheese (laughs) and stuff. But you know, some of these boats are five hundred feet. But, but they have to anchor. Well, they anchor out, but also the I, there, there's a couple of slips there that bring in that you know on the end of one of those fingers I think it was on like the piers. They're three to four hundred feet, yeah.
0: But you know what? It, it sounds all ritzy, but it's actually fun. It's really fun to walk down these docks and look yeah. at yacht after yacht after yacht, and the crew. For these yachts, for these sailing regattas, or just yachts that cruise, are from all over the world, and you hear every imaginable language. It's really fun. Even if you were there and not part of a yacht, you could just walk down these docks and pretend you are. And- well,
1: you can, because you can't go into the Yacht Club Costa Esmeralda. It's blocked off without, oh, you know, okay. you can't, you got to get in through one entrance. But for those of you that have been to Newport, Newport's the minor leagues. I mean, it's more like Miami, right? Big, big boats. Miami and Fort Lauderdale that have big three to four, 500 foot yachts in the wintertime. Um, it's just big, glitzy, really, really nice. But I say glitzy in a glitzy in a nice way. It looks like the Four Seasons just dropped in the middle of Italy, the middle of an island. It's very, very elegant. Oh, it is
0: definitely elegant. But as I mentioned, we were there for a regatta Tommaso had. And I'll sum it up. He can tell you about it, but I'll sum it up by saying, one day he came in from racing and he said, "Okay, that is the most beautiful place I have ever sailed in
1: Europe." Yes, by far it is. It is extraordinary. The quality of the wind, the quality of the the water, the beauty of the the, the natural beauty going sailing up through the Straits of Monteleño with the the archipelago is just is phenomenal. I mean, is you know, I'll go in, we'll go into it later, but you know, there's a the area between Corsica and Sardinia
0: is north of Sardinia. And of... then there's these archipelago islands in between.
1: Right. And that's the Straits of Bonifacio. And for every sailor in life you want to check a check a bunch of boxes and just sailing the Straits of Bonifacio in 30 knots is one of them. It gets
0: And and this first regatta, uh we went back a couple of years later, but this first regatta it was so windy. You guys came in like beat up and remember the Japanese team, they just got off the boat and kind of laid on the dock. <laughs>
1: Well, we we rounded this mark off of um, we rounded this mark, La Vezzi, uh which is halfway sort of halfway between Sardinia and Corsica, and it's in the middle of the straits. And it was blowing stink. It was blowing like thirty. And you're going downwind with a spinnaker. Um, in the old days, uh, symmetrical spinnakers. They're not like asymmetrical now. And they are just the boat can roll a bit. Yes, it was fun. It was enjoyable.
0: I think that's like a dream dream regatta for any person that is a sailor, yeah, you came in. You were just so elated and so happy. I was, Everyone... scared.
1: I was happy we are alive at this point. <laughs> yes, it was <laughs> It was honky
0: <laughs> anyway, for those of you that don't sail, which is, you know, I don't sail like that either. I didn't get to see the same incredible geography that that Tom did. But for those of you that don't sail, you can take a ferry from the mainland to to sardinia to yep. olbia the right. same town that we flew in right. on the airplane to and you can take these these ferries that pass corsica, corsica. Yep. and the coast of the northern coast of sardinia yep. and actually we have friends from lago di como that are there right now they took the ferry from livorno right. which is a little bit northwest of florence and that ferry took about 7 hours And she was texting me this morning saying it was stunning, beautiful. They had, they brought their own car. Kids Mm -hmm. are in the back seat, And she said it was the best ferry ride, best way to get there. Easy drive from Lago di Como to Livorno. And they loved the ferry aspect of the trip. You can also take a ferry from Cittavecchia, which is a town west of Rome. Cittavecchia means the old city. It was probably like, you know before Rome was there. So you can take that ferry, direct car ferry, they also allow passengers, and that's only about six, seven hours. Right. Easy.
1: Straight to Olbia? Well, no, the beauty of that ferry is it goes through the Straits of Bonifacio. Oh. So the the one from Livorno goes down Corsica and goes to Olbia. The one from Cittavecchia goes through the Straits of Bonifacio, so you get a chance to see Corsica, see the island, see the archipelago of, of Sardinia, the... Go into Porta Torres, which is on the north, that northwest corner.
0: Oh, okay. Well, either way, you can fly there or take a ferry. And let me just say, since I have it on my mind, I was texting with uh, my friends that are there right now. She texted me just now and said, quote unquote, this has been the trip of our lives amazing beaches, amazing food, and amazing people. And this comes from this family that has lived their entire life in Italy. They're they're Danish, but
1: born there and raised there. And most of it in Lake Como, which is kind of hard. Hard to beat. Hard to beat, right? right? And they
0: say it's stunning. They rented, I'm sorry, they brought their own car and they drove up the entire Costa Smeralda, went to all these little villages where we will describe. And then finally over to the Northwest point, like a peninsula with Sardinia's most incredible beach called Stintino. I showed it to you this morning yeah, in the picture. Yeah. It has a old tower, you know, who knows what century tower, way, way, way out. Back when the
1: universe was created, they created that tower.
0: <laughs> you can't even swim to it. It's so far out. That's the view from swimming and hanging out at this beach called Stintino. Definitely a must. But anyways, to have this review of the best vacation Real-time of review. our lives is pretty telling of what Northern Sardinia looks like. Anyway, so back to where we were best part of Porto Cervo was where we stayed, and I found online a rental house that was in Porto Vecchio, the old
1: port. The There's, old port, which is right in Porto Cervo. Exactly. That's part of port There's Cervo. a new port and an and old port. port,
0: so I found this old house, old, <laughs> in Porto Vecchio, and it was originally the old yacht club that the French architect that Diaga Khan hired, he was in charge of the yacht club itself.
1: Right. The original yacht club Costa Smaralda.
0: Correct. And therefore, the French architect named it Maison du Port. Mm -hmm. So that was what we were able to rent, one little section of, not that large of a house. It was a small yacht club to start with. Right. So we rented it from this older English gentleman and his wife, whose name I don't remember, his wife. But he was John. He was John. Sadly, can't remember his wife. So John was an architect who the Aga Khan brought over in the 70s to design and build a few additional buildings they thought they needed, it. Well, John and his wife stayed forever. They loved it. And when another architect built the current new Costa Smeralda Yacht Club, John purchased this old Maison du Port for himself. So he and his wife lived there and they rented part of it out, which was our lucky fortune that we found them. And they had a dog, the best, cutest dog who's na- who they named Vieni Cui. Vieni qui means in Italian. Come here. Come here. So imagine saying to your dog, "Vieni qui, Vieni qui," like, "Hey, come here, come here." It was so funny. But Vieni qui, he owned Porta Cervo, yes. especially the old port. Mm-hmm. He had no collar. He had never been on a leash, and he just came and went when he pleased. Mm-hmm. He went on to boats that he could physically get onto. He went into the little coffee bars, the panino shops. Vieniqui was Il Capo (laughs) (laughs) of Porto Vecchio. Il Capo. And it was really fun. We'd go to bed at night in this little rental part of the house, and we'd hear John and his wife kind of quietly, knowing that we were there, say, Vieniqui, Vieniqui, at night to get him to come home. He always did come home. He'd come over to our little terrazzo in the morning while we're having a coffee He'd to also say come, hello.
1: He came over at the end of the day when we were having a cocktail and yes. a snack, too. He was out,
0: well, we were new and we had we had snacks. <laughs>
1: and we liked him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we loved him. And this man, John and his wife, were just so lovely, and they had us over for dinner a couple nights on their terrazzo, which looked out. I'll just describe what this harbor looks like when you have all these massive boats. The bigger the boat, the taller the mast.
1: The more lights.
0: And they more light ling. They light the, what do you call those? Spreaders. The spreaders that are the horizontal.
1: They keep the mask up.
0: Horizontal pieces that come yes. out from the vertical mask. And they have kind of like disco lights on them. Not a disco, but very refined. Oh, they're, they're refined little LED temporary. light up the rig. Yeah. So we'd be sitting on their terrazzo with this view of hundreds and hundreds of masks lit up and the village lit up and... Everything's reflecting in the harbor and the smell is amazing from all the bougainvillea and and glichne, the wisteria it was incredible. So we have a few dinners with them they were so nice. And then one night I asked them or maybe it was Tom said, "Hey, can you tell us who that woman is that lives in the little house below us? She's always on her terrace every morning." She'd walk out there topless with an espresso and a pack of cigarettes. And do you remember what he said? No. He explained that she... Oh,
1: yes, she was one of the former lovers of the Aga Khan. mistress
0: of the Aga Khan. mistress, and
1: she was waiting for him to return. Right.
0: Because I said, she never looks anywhere. She doesn't look to the left or the right. She doesn't look up at us. She could most likely hear us chatting, having our latte, cappuccino, and she just looked out to the harbor. Right. And John said, he's just... She is just looking for his return. Yeah. Like, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we were so lucky that we found Maison du Port. It's on the market right now, sadly, for 1.3 million euro. Well, you know. So we can't uh, recommend that you try to rent that. But I do have a very extensive list of an entire variety of places to stay. Not just the upscale luxury type hotels, but a little more low-key, lovely design, simple, even agriturismos, which are outside of the village a bit, but renovated and contemporary and pools. It's really nice. I have a huge list. So if you are thinking of going to this area, get in touch. So while Tommaso was sailing every day, all day, Mm -hmm. I'd always meet them at the end to hear the war stories and bring them a couple cold beers, Mm -hmm. a couple, like I put it, I put cases of beer on the back of my moped. (laughs) That was literally my job (laughs) at the end of every day. So I rented a moped for the whole two weeks and I had all day to myself. So I just went everywhere I could. I drove north. I drove south. I had, you know, Google Maps on my phone. I'd find these little inlets. I'd just go everywhere, every single place. I didn't get much mileage in on my trips, but I swam in every little spot and saw the geography as best I could. Not the same vantage point that the sailors had from the boats, but it is stunning. And there's all these little coves and grottos that you can go into. And Italians just dive in anywhere. They don't need big beaches like we have in America. They bring towels and they lay on rocks. They'll bring their lunch. They'll bring everything and they swim and the smaller the cove, the less people, the better. The other thing I noticed on all these moped rides of mine, I only take back roads and most of them are back roads, but I saw all these brick towers and foundations, old ruins, like similar to the ones I described that Tom and I saw in Tuscany. In Tuscany, right. And I just assumed they were like, oh, the same, you know, fifth century, 10th century old ruins, et cetera. So I also happened to mention that to John one night and he said, oh, no, you don't know about these ruins. They are from the Narage civilization, which goes back to 2000 BC. And remember, I told you at the beginning, they have records of civilization on Sardinia since 6000 BC, but these stone brick shaped stone towers and foundations that you can still see are from 2000 BC. That blew my mind. So the next day, I get back on my moped. Every time I saw one, I stopped, turned the moped off, went over, rubbed the stone, (laughs) thinking I'm touching something from 2000 years BC. Wow. That's amazing. But I love history. I love knowing the history of every place I go. And I think a lot of people take a vacation, like, let's say, oh, we're going to go to France and we want to see the Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame and eat the food. And they might learn a little bit about... Notre Dame, the history of when it was built, but they don't really know how old these old stone sidewalks they're walking on. They, the more you hear or learn, teach yourself about history of a place you're going, I think it makes for a much more memorable much trip. Much
1: more interesting trip, too. Right?
0: Think about all the times you and I have been in museums, especially in Italy. Mm-hmm. And we're looking, Tommaso and I both love art, and we're looking at these paintings from like 850 years ago. But at the same time, we're standing in a building in this museum built 1,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. The combination of that, I think, is mind-blowing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: May not be for everyone, but we like it. No, we like it. History's it's, good. Yeah, history's good. <laughs> well, back to my moped. One day, I drove down to Calle di Volpe, which is a port with incredible colored smeralda water. I just could not keep myself out of it. And it is the... The village itself of Cala di Volpe is another one of these glitterati type playgrounds, playground for the rich and famous. And it's actually.
1: Or those can, you know, you don't have to be rich and famous. You just have to be able to afford to get in.
0: Well, you can stay in other places, too. But it's so pretty. And that is the scene of that infamous birthday party that Tycho Dennis Kozlowski. Dennis Tyco, Tyco Tycho yes. founder. He threw a birthday party for his his wife, and that that was the end of his end of his empire. And he went to jail, not well, because of the birthday party, but what they found out because of that well, party. Remind
1: me not to spend two million dollars on your next birthday party, <laughs> so I won't lose my empire. Oh, that
0: was right. That's how it started. Like two million dollars on a birthday party, <laughs> yeah. and then right past there. Speaking of in the news type places, there
1: was one big bouncy house they rented, right.
0: Uh, Past Calle de Volpe is Porto Rotondo, right south of there, which I went to also that same day on my moped. And that is where Silvio Berlusconi, who was prime minister while I lived there, and then he was prime minister again, he had this uh, Villa Certosa there, the most expensive villa in all of Italy at the time. And that's where... Do you remember?
1: Bunga bunga parties. Bunga bunga parties. (laughs) Those of you might have read about that in the news. Google boonga boonga yeah. parties. <laughs> It'll be entertaining.
0: So in general, the entire coastline of the whole island of Sardinia is remarkable. And I think it's worth seeing on, well, you can't do the whole thing on a moped, but like a convertibles. It, yeah. It's like, it's one of those places like the Caribbean or think of where you go on a vacation. No, it's and, way
1: beyond the Caribbean. No,
0: no. To, to describe where you want to be in an open air type mode of oh, yeah, sure, transportation. Sure, yeah, right, right, right. In the Caribbean you'd get a moke or a little jeep. Yep. Same thing here like you experience the smells and the sight and it's easier to stop right and get out or just stand up in your car and take a picture. Right. So I think that is uh the type of mode of transportation you like. And the one place I didn't go to only because it was too far to go on my moped, but I wish I did. And when we go back, we'll definitely be going. Uh, and it's what you sailed by, the island of Madalena Right, in the Straits. The Straits of Madalena So there's this little island that you can take a car ferry or just be a passenger. It takes maybe 15, 20 minutes from this little village called Palau. And once you get there, there's one village where the ferry lets you off. It's teeny, but it has all you need, a couple of places to stay, several restaurants, little beaches, and the rest of the island, like three quarters of it, is Archipelago National Preserve. So imagine how pretty that is, but you can drive through it and go to these beaches that right. are as incredible as,
1: as the ones on the mainland. Even, even more incredible. I mean, we sailed through there several times, we were racing, and you were looking down at, at over the side of the boat, at the bottom, and the rocks. And I asked the navigator at one point, Bill, how deep is it? And he said, 35 feet. And it was like, oh, I was worried about us hitting a rock or something. It was so clear. So clear. It's amazing. And they really do a great job in maintaining those national parks and maintaining the moorings. You can't necessarily just anchor anywhere. They have moorings. So they're really concerned about preserving the beauty of the area. Right.
0: I forgot to mention that... One day I did participate in the regatta quote unquote I, I form- you, were, you were in the weather boat
1: describe what a weather boat So a weather boat before a race we would send a boat up upwind several miles to up until 5 minutes beforehand the race started we could get the the weather reading so we had this guy named um Dan Dan who <laughs> operated on his own time Dan time Yeah we nicknamed it Dan time Dan time
0: like if they if the captain of the boat told Dan to be there at six thirty a.m., he got there
1: at about eight. <laughs> yeah, it was Dan time, and uh, Dan was the South African guy. He was really, really nice, and he and Kim had a, as I remember it, a great lunch. Well, we did our
0: job. We yes. went to the weather mark mm-hmm. and took the the readings, and you're allowed to give that information to a boat over the radio. Until like 15 minutes before or something. Yeah, I forget what the time was. And then you had to stop. No more communication. Right. The boats were on their own. So then what do Dan and I do for the rest of the day? I know. (laughs) We go to, it wasn't Madalena. It was another little archipelago island somewhere or in inland. I don't know where it was, in the harbor somewhere, to a lunch. We like, had With
1: a little rosé, I think.
0: A lot of rosé. <laughs> we were there for like five hours. And then all of a sudden, Dan time kicked in. He's like, uh-oh, we were supposed to be back at the dock an hour ago. But this boat had some pretty big engines in the back, I remember. Two or three of them. Yep. We were there in no time. Yeah, So I did get to spend one day on the water. <laughs> and most of it was in a restaurant. <laughs> Outdoor restaurant. So finally, at the end of the regatta... It was one of uh, it was a Danish guy's sailor's birthday. Our friend Lars, it was his big birthday, and another friend of a friend, sailor that was on another boat. This Dutch man said, "Oh, I know where we need to go for his birthday." They all know each other from regattas all over the world. So, guys from other boats are so friendly with each other. So, this Dutch man just told us where we should all take Lars, right? And that he would drive. And he said, "It's way out in the country. It's amazing. It'll be the best dinner of your life." Andiamo, let's go. <laughs> but the Dutch man drove, and once again, we're in a teeny little car. Yes. Why that happens to us, I don't know. With Kate, Alejandro, Chris, <laughs> the you Dutch and me, do, and me Lars. And yes, it was very, it was very it was one size up from a Fiat Punto. It was cozy, but it was crowded. So it seemed like it took forever to get there from Porto Cervo, but I don't think it was really that far. He just took back roads or was lost and didn't tell us. Mm-hmm. When we finally got there, it was probably the most remarkable, readable place and dinner I think we've ever had in Italy in
1: terms of this rural experience. The atmosphere of it all and... Coming in after a spectacular week of sailing. The
0: difference between Porto Cervo, Uh the restaurants, and then going to this place.
1: Yes. Right? That was the difference. Porto Cervo is very upscale. It's very, you know, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to find just a pizza.
0: This place is also an agriturismo, like I've described, that are all over the country. And this particular one is called La Colti. And when we walked in, just describe that, Tom, like that whole You walk in in through
1: this gate and there's this beautiful stone courtyard constructed and the glow of the embers as there are half of a pig roasting and there's probably 15 or 20 of them along the side or roasting and the embers are are, are glowing and it's this very, very ethereal light and only candlelight on the table. And, um, you know, it's the type of thing where you're like, OK, I'm in a different type of place exactly. and I'm not going to find this and just the, anywhere. Right. The courtyard, um, big, like a big rectangular
0: courtyard in the fattoria the farm buildings, you know, edged up to this courtyard. So as Tom described, the pigs roasting, I couldn't look at that. I could. I felt sad for them. <laughs> but then on the other side, they had these long wood tables of all the things cheeses they make, the wines they had, and but we arrived late because, you know, the Dutch dude couldn't find our, his way. So <laughs> they were very nice, the farmers, the owners of the place, but they had us like, sit down, sit down, sierdikwe, sierdikwe. So we sat at these big kind of like um, picnic table type concepts, no backs, just benches, but yeah. long, long, long wood tables, and they don't ask you what you want. There's no menu, anything like that. There wasn't even silverware yet. You just sit at this old table and then all of a sudden out comes a bottle of red, a bottle of white, bottle of water, another bottle of red, bottle of white. They just plunk everything down. And I was about, I think I was the only person that spoke Italian. So I was going to ask what the story was, but I didn't. We figured it out. And then the meat, the pork, main course the main course comes first then we had some vegetables potatoes they grew everything this was the original farm to table before it was you know hip and trendy to be farm fashion. to table and it was just the most memorable dinner ever wasn't it great it was great
1: it was very cool and you know what's even better we got home so there's one more thing we forgot to address about cheese which, in Sardinia, and we saw the cheese in the restaurant, and we were wondering, hmm. Correct. Yes, right? yes. Do you remember the name? No, I don't.
0: Casu Martsu. Casu It is an illegal cheese that Sardinians make, and it is a pecorino. So they make the round of pecorino, and they put it outside, but cut off a part, like a quarter of Part of the rind.
1: If you're sitting around right now having cocktails,
0: (laughs) don't be eating cheese. cheese, Don't eat the cheese right now. Step
1: back for a second.
0: (laughs) Anyway, they put this cheese outside with a little bit of the rind missing deliberately. They cut it off to attract these flies that then lay eggs in this cheese. And those eggs turn into maggots.
1: Okay, everyone's everyone's like rolling over now going, Oh god.
0: <laughs> but so anyway, the Sardanians, the hardcore Sardanians find wherever, you know, their friends make it, whatever. It's no it's a known entity, and they have these meals, which they drink super strong uh Sardanian red wine with it, and they eat this katsumatsu. Katsumatsu cheese. Because they think it's an aphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure, but we're the not going to try the
1: Viagra it. of Sardinia. <laughs> the Viagra of
0: cheese. <laughs> anyway, they eat this and they're religious about it. But they have this thing that you can only eat it while the maggots are alive because they think if you eat it, After the maggots have died, then it's really bad for you. Like unhealthy.
1: Like unhealthy. (laughs) You're not getting the full protein effect.
0: (laughs) Crazy logic there. Right. So, that's another little tidbit about Sardinia, inland Sardinia. And this uh, agriturismo, La Colti, was inland, not that far. Right. But there are a lot of villages inland that are the polar opposite of Porto old, the authentic Sardinia. So, you get a good variety on this northern coast, northern tip of Sardinia of the old, old, old and the new, new being from the 60s. And just like our friend said, the most amazing food, the most amazing, kind, generous people, friendly. So it is definitely a beautiful place to visit. And different from the mainland. It's got its own kind of entity. It's got entity. its own vibe.
1: It's got its own entity. It's, 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 you know, It's and this is only the top portion. Exactly. Of Sardinia. We have a, whole, a very, very big island.
0: It is. And down in the bottom, Cagliari, that is a, a whole episode in itself,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which we will get to at some point. So at some point, Tommaso, we're going back to Sardinia without a sailing regatta. See. Si. And we'll rent a car. Mm -hmm. Uh, A cabriolet, a convertible, Mm
1: -hmm. and we'll just drive north to south. Oh, we'll rent a car on the mainland and take the ferry. Oh, good idea. Right. Won't it, yeah? Right.
0: So at the end of the regatta, the rest of the crew left. We got another moped for Tommaso, and we spent another week staying in Maison du Port, and just went everywhere. We never tired of it. Every day, I just got up and said, which way do you want to go? Let me show you this. Let's go here.
1: Well, you showed me all the places that, we, that you had seen while I, while I was out racing. I didn't mind going
0: again, no, right? No, no, no. Fresh air in your face on these mopeds. And I knew the right little place to get a little
1: pizzeria. And the beaches.
0: And the beaches. It was magnificent. And at the end of the day, we go back to our little Maison du Port in Porto Cervo. And we hung out with Qui, gave him snacks, had a little aperitivo ourselves. And we just thought, man, we are lucky to be here.
1: Yes. Being in Italy is lucky in itself. But being exactly. in Sardinia is extra lucky. Yeah.
0: We can kind of say that about almost anywhere. In, yes. In, we, and we will. In Italy when and you're we, there. And we will. <laughs> as we have and we will continue. That's right. So that finishes our episode on Costa Smeralda. And our next podcast episode will be on Firenze, Florence. However, I have to take a week break because we have so much going on. So Tuesday, July 20th, twentieth. thank you, will be our next episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it, especially if you could give us a rating or leave a review on the platform wherever you listen to your podcast. Grazie mille tutti e ciao ciao.
1: Ciao ciao. I can say that too.
0: <laughs> che vediamo. You need to learn that one. Che vediamo.
1: Che vediamo dopo. <laughs> Is that right?
0: We'll see you uh Later.